The rocky hills and sagebrush-covered flats at the base of the Sierra Nevada mountains, extending east to Lone Pine, California, and beyond, have a lengthy and illustrious movie history. For decades, the distinctive contours of these odd-shaped bronze-colored rocks backed by Mount Whitney and other majestic snow-covered peaks have provided a spectacular setting for countless tales of Hollywood's Old West, as well as such far-flung locations as India, China, Afghanistan, and occasionally, even other planets. That was the opening to the DVD entitled Lone Pine, where the real West becomes the real West presented by the Lone Pine Film History Museum. Because today we're doing something different, which is uh, talking about Lone Pine, California, where Bob spent almost a week uh, kind of touring around and going and seeing in the sights and going to the museum and putting together an epic swag bag for me. Man, you really went all out on what you sent me. There's no limit on how much stuff there's available in that museum. Yeah, so I spent like a good hour and a half last night just going and reading some books and brochures, and I guess we should probably say who we are. Uh, I'm Matt Johnson, and I'm recording from sunny, spring-like, wonderful North Bend today. And uh, this is Bob Johnson in Los Angeles welcoming everybody back to Classic Movie Reviews and our 102nd podcast. Ooh, we're in the hundreds, and we're we are talking about Lone Pine today. So you kind of put together your thoughts, and maybe I'll just let you kick it off. And I think this is going to be a fun little adventure into one of the most popular sites for filming movies uh, ever. <laughs> ever since I uh, uh, was uh, moved to to Los Angeles, I wanted to make a trip up to uh, Lone Pine, Bishop and Death Valley because I, I've always known that there were so many films that I loved to watch that were filmed there. So finally we got everything put together and six of us took three cars because we were going to split up, split up and go in different directions once we got there. So off we went. We were there from uh, the last uh, in the last week of March for a week. And uh, what a place. Uh, according to what we learned... About 400 films have been made in Lone Pine and the Alabama Hills and the Sierras that are right there as well. And then another two to 400, I got different figures, have been filmed in Inyo County, which are mountain ranges both to the east of Bishop and Lone Pine and then the Sierras on the west. So I guess somewhere around six to 800 films have been made there, so... We thought we would re review all 800 of them. <laughs> we'll be here until <clears throat> we'll be here until the uh, 22nd century. So anyway, I I kind of honed it down a little bit, and and uh, to start off, I guess Lone Pine got its beginning in a uh, silent film that was made in 1920 called The Roundup, starring Roscoe Fatty Arbuckle. Mr. Arbuckle was very popular at the time in silent film. However, he got into all kinds of legal problems in San Francisco at the St. Francis Hotel, and uh, it was involving the death of an actress, Virginia, I believe it's Rapp or Rappé, who died in room 1219 of the St. Francis, and then Mr. Arbuckle was tried uh, and acquitted of any wrongdoing, but it ruined his career. 
So he died uh, not long after that from heart failure. But before he passed on, he introduced a couple of other well-known people in Hollywood to the Lone Pine area. And I guess that was the beginning of the of the whole movie-making locations that are up there. And uh, in our group, uh, many of the, the people didn't know the history of the Alabama Hills because it's kind of an odd name for California. So it was named after the Confederate warship, the, U, the CSS Alabama. Apparently a lot of miners came out to California and uh, had been sympathetic to the Confederate cause, and they named those hills the Alabama Hills. Well, not to be outdone, then uh, the warship that sunk the Alabama was the USS Kearsage. Kearsage, I think that's right. So those miners, in a counter move, named a whole bunch of other areas after the Kearsage. There's a mining district named after it, a mountain pass, a small town, and a mountain peak. So the whole naming protocol was done based on which side you're on during the Civil War between 1861 and 1865. So quite a history there. When I first heard about the Alabama Hills, before we started talking about Lone Pine, it was through some photography that I had been looking at because I was like, wow, this is this place looks amazing. Uh, and I thought, well, where in Alabama are these hills? This doesn't look like Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't because it's so uh, such a different name. Before I uh, go any further, there's an excellent book. I mean, when I sent you that swag bag, I sent you about 20 books, it seems like. But the one that I found the most interesting, if uh, our listener wanted to look at it, is called The Images of America, Filming Locations in the Alabama Hills. And it's a series of books that were put out. I'm looking for the publisher. No, I can't find it. But they have all kinds of books about different parts of the country. And uh, I think that's probably the most complete of the many books that are on, on uh, the subject of the Alabama Hills, put together by Charles Michael Morphin. And for the life of me, I cannot... F- oh, here's the publisher. Arcadia Publications. Yeah, you can find these books everywhere. Like, I, there's even one for North Bend. Oh, there is? Yeah, there's like, it's like this series of books where they really do a deep dive on a specific geographic area or town or location. And I think I actually bought one. Uh, but when I saw this, I was like, wow, this, is, this looks familiar. But there's, it is kind of a whole series. And then you also sent me one on Images of America Manzanar because that was also... Yes, uh, that was a part of our trip. Area. Yeah. Um, well, Lone Pine's about 200 miles almost directly north of Los Angeles, so it's about a four-hour drive. Lovely drive because you kind of leave the city and then you get out into the desert. And then we got to Lone Pine and, and visited and all that sort of thing. But we then the next day we went up to Bishop, which is about 60 miles north of Lone Pine. And the terrain and the topography changes quite dramatically. And it turns into farming and cattle ranching up at the northern end of the valley. And then if you continue on up, you end up in, um, well, if you go far enough, you'd end up in Yosemite. So there's quite a, ver- a variety of, uh, of areas to see. I would recommend anyone that has a chance to go there to do so. Just a, a little bit about Manzanar, because that was one of the other things that we wanted to do. We have a relative, I won't, I won't name grandma's name, but um, we looked at 
Manzanar to see if she had been in that uh, camp. Manzanar was one of 10 or 12 camps that were set up at the beginning of World War II, and 110,000 Japanese Americans, they were citizens, were relocated to these camps, and Manzanar at any one time would have eight to 9,000 people living there in these uh, really shabby barracks. We took a tour of two of them, an unbelievable experience. Uh, but we, but uh, Grandma was not located. They have a list of all the people that were interned there. She was not listed there, so I don't know any more than that on that. But back to our movie. Well, one other thing on Manzanar, it's overwhelming to go to the museum that's been created there just to get a sense of the scope and size of this relocation effort. Amazing. And a wonderful video. They have a nice theater, and they had a video that kind of culminated uh, back in the 1980s when President Reagan signed a reparations bill that uh, gave some monetary um, amounts to each of the people that were interned at the at the camps. It's, it's a it's a heartbreaking experience to see how they lived. Yeah, not not a great chapter in American history for sure. No, not at all. But, but we went to Manzanar t- twice. We went on. Uh, the first day we were there, and then two or three days later, we went back up because we really didn't, Nancy and I didn't feel like we'd seen enough. And the second time we went, it was a very windy, spring-like March day, and it made it even more awful, if that's a way to put it, because of this wind and dirt. And I mean, you're at the edge of the desert, and folks had been interred there that came from the coast, San Diego, some from Seattle. I just can't imagine what that was like. And they created a life there for four years. They had a high school, stores, did a lot of improvements while they were there, but still terrible. Anyway, uh, and then Bishop. Bishop is kind of the up at the upper northern part of the whole valley. And in that area, there's an interesting history on, on actor Elijah Cook, Jr. Remember Elijah Cook in the Maltese Falcon and in the Big Sleep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he lived in that area, uh, either in Bishop or up in the Sierras. And uh, he, he passed away in Big Pine, which is a smaller town between Lone Pine and and uh, Bishop. And what he would do, he, he loved the mountains, so he'd live up there and fish and hike and all. And then when he came down to do a movie, he'd pack up and come down and do that and then he'd go back. He he was there for decades. In the Maltese Falcon, he was from nineteen forty one. He was Wilmar the the Gunsel. He was the the bad guy's uh, gunman. And that was our twenty eighth podcast for anybody who hasn't listened to it. And in the Big Sleep, he played Jonesy, and uh, he met a tragic end in that film. But what an actor he was! He was in the business for like. 50 years i think yeah that that kind of fascinates me that that actor lifestyle where you know they're they're working while they're making a film and then they're sort of unemployed until the next film comes along and that idea of living out someplace like big pine or, or out there in the desert and then coming into hollywood to do the movie and then going back that's that fascinates me and we talked about another actor who had done that who would just show up at the studio to make the movies and then would drive back someplace, I forget where, it was Northern California, I think, 
to to live his daily life. Well, I think Fred McMurray did that. He had a big farm, ranch, organic uh, agricultural setup in Northern California. And I read at one point where when he was doing the TV show My Three Sons, which was very popular back in the uh, 60s, they would film the episodes around his schedule. So he might do four or five episodes while he was in Los Angeles. Then he'd be gone for like a month, and they'd do the rest of the show around those. Oh, interesting. <laughs> those. Yeah, that might have been it. Yeah, that's, that's what cool. A, what a lifestyle. But uh, I, 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 Elijah Cook, to me, is, is the epitome of a character actor who was so successful over such a long, long time. Another thing that we did, I think it was the first day, was we drove up what's called the... Uh, I think it's called the Sierra Portal, which is a highway that goes about 12 or 13 miles out of Lone Pine to the west up into the Sierras to the spot where High Sierra from 1941 was filmed. The uh, The ending scenes, especially with... Uh, that's a film with Ida Lupino and uh, Humphrey Bogart. And uh, we got up to where we could see where they'd filmed the ending of that uh, movie. And, you know, it's kind of... It, it, for me... It's really a beautiful experience to see these places in person. Just the rigors that people would have had to go through in 1941 to get all the equipment and everything up there to make those movies had to be a lot of work. Yeah, that stuff was heavy. Um, did you did you find spots that you recognized from the films? I mean, like you said, oh, I know, I remember that from this movie. Was that something that happened while you were there? Yeah, all, all over the place. In fact, there were so many... Uh, I have like a three-page list of these, and then I sent you that. <laughs> I sent you that list of all the films. Yeah, man, there's some really excellent films and some really uh, B movies that were made in the area. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, one of the well, I was reading one of the in one of the books it was talking about. Uh, it had it kind of organized by type of movie, so there was westerns, which was the vast majority, but then there were also some science fiction movies that had been made out there. And one of them was called The Bamboo Saucer. <laughs> yeah, with Dan Duryea, 1968. That's one that we've not reviewed, and I've never seen well, it. Well, I I started watching it last night on YouTube, and it was actually, I got kind of sucked into Is it. Is that right? It was, it, it, it's got some pretty good special effects. and Mr. Norwood, what the devil were you doing up there? I was dodging that bogey. Bogey? What bogey? The UFO, the flying saucer. Flying saucer? Well, you heard me up there. I had everything I could do to avoid a collision. A collision? You mean with another aircraft? I suppose you could call it an aircraft. It was flying. <laughs> the bamboo saucer, yeah. Have you seen enough of name. it to uh, figure out why it's called the bamboo saucer? No, not yet. I'll, I'll let you know next podcast, but it has something to do with the Chinese, I think. Oh, boy. Yeah, I saw that on the list. Um... Uh, yeah, I did see, uh, well, all six of us, uh, the six of us in our crew, took a guided tour with a, a delightful woman who's the head of the Chamber of Commerce in Lone Pine, uh, Kathleen New. And she's lived most of her life in Lone Pine. And she took us out to all these sites. I mean, we were all over the place. There, she had a, another book that I sent you a copy of called Location Filming and it's kind of a black and white book, I think it is. And she was using that as a guide 
So I recognized uh, this this one right here. Yes, that one on location. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great one. It was shrink wrapped. It was, <clears throat> it's really nice. That's the one she was using, and of course she she knows a lot of the history when she was a child. Hopalong Cassidy or William Boyd and his wife had a house that we went by where there was a swimming pool, and he would he was such a nice guy. He and his wife Grace would have all the kids that wanted to come over go swimming. She remembers going swimming in his pool. And uh, but anyway, I recognized the location, of course, of High Sierra, a Gunga Din, which probably was the biggest film made there in 1938. Uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to look, but it looks like an army camp. They had so many tents of people just living there for several well, months. Yeah, I was super impressed. I, I was thinking we should review that movie. Yes, maybe even we should review that next, uh, kind of as a follow up to this podcast because. I've never seen it, and I was, like, amazed by the size and scope of that uh, filming. And almost all of it was filmed uh, in the Alabama Hills. They used 900 extras for the uh, uh, fight scenes in the rocks and all, both for the good guys and the bad guys. And we were standing <clears throat> at one location. We could see the all the places that they'd filmed those uh, those. Uh, locations uh saw parts of where they'd filmed uh gosh it's all over the place here yellow sky which is another gregory peck in my continuing effort to lobby for a gregory <laughs> peck uh series yellow sky in 1948 was filmed and we could we uh, saw parts of the set that remained it was a kind of a rock uh looked like a water hole well and it's been left in its original state. Everything there now is closely monitored by the uh, Bureau of Land Management, so any filming of anything uh, has to be permitted, and then they can't, they can't leave anything behind. And that came on a little later after Yellow Sky. Well, I was reading that they still give out between 40 and 60 permits per year for filming different things like TV shows, commercials, music videos. Oh, that's a lot. Films. And the permit states that they have to leave it exactly as they found it, and they actually go out and monitor the different uh, film crews to make sure that they're following the guidelines. But, yeah, it's, it's really closely monitored. Kathleen was telling us that uh, nowadays a lot of the permits or the filming – is for car commercials. <clears throat> There's one with a Ford truck on some great big cantilever thing, and that was filmed there. Then she told us the story of a candy maker company that went out there to film without a permit. And I guess they got in all kinds of trouble because <laughs> they built this elaborate set, <clears throat> and no one knew where they were there until uh, the Bureau of Land Management people came by, and uh, I guess that cost them quite a pretty penny in fines. Jeez. But it is, it's very well kept. There's only one single rock formation that's been, uh, what would I say, desecrated. And uh, they've left it alone because in an odd way, it's kind of an interesting picture. I should have taken a picture of it, but I didn't. I'm going back, by the way. In fact... Oh, you are? I, I don't know quite when, but... I got so engrossed in the uh, the area, and, and we haven't even talked about the Western Museum, but uh, other locations that I saw that I recognized were from the film Tycoon from 1947 with John Wayne and 
Lorraine Day, the gunfighter. Remember the gunfighter where he's going oh, yeah. across the yep. prairie? That was filmed there. That's our podcast number 99. Uh, the Hitchhiker from 1953, that's podcast number 64. That was filmed in and around the Alabama Hills. Oh, yeah. I mean, I definitely <clears throat> recognized the scenery from that film when I was looking at some of these books. It's like, wow, yep. <laughs> and I made a special trip kind of out to the eastern side of Lone Pine, for uh, the location of the filming of Bad Day at Black Rock, which was our podcast number 84. I found the location, but there's nothing there. It's as though it was never made. There's no railroad wow. track. There's no buildings. The only thing I could recognize were the background mountains. So it's kind of eerie. Yeah, I think we talked about that before, how they just picked up everything and it was like they built this little town and then they tore it all down and it was like it was gone just a, never there well and it looked so real in the movie i mean it looked like as though it oh, had been it, there it, forever totally totally especially with the train tracks running through there Jeez. i guess those tracks were part of a mining operation that's been closed up and they took the tracks out as a mm. as a result of that i think that's there's so many stories as, as we because everybody in town there and there's only a town of two thousand people are really into the movie TV thing. Uh, and all of them, everybody has their favorites, either ones they like or ones they don't like, both people and movies. <laughs> one, one of the, one of the yeah, people uh, really, really uh, enjoys uh, Quentin Tarantino because I guess he likes to come up and just get away from all the hubbub of L.A. And... Uh, he filmed Django Unchained. I think I have that right. Yeah. That was filmed there. And uh, Robert Downey Jr. is another favorite. And he fil he was there for the filming of Iron Man 2008. Yeah, tell me what the the woman, the <laughs> yeah. tour guide, said about him. I thought uh, that was let's so Let's see funny. if I can find it because I, I wanted to make sure that I didn't get it incorrect. It was really sweet. Give me a second here. Well, I'm going to paraphrase it because I can't find the exact wording right now, but one of the people said that Robert Downey Jr. is a real cutie, in quotes, a real <laughs> cutie, and a real cut-up with a great sense of humor and a somewhat <laughs> unusual and unique past because he's had, he's had a few issues. But she was I guess she thought he was an excellent uh, guest, yeah, it's so, you know everybody, and everybody loves uh, William Boyd, the Hopalong Cassidy, and he he lived in the area. Yeah, right, during because so. they made so many television shows there and movies that he had a home there. Uh, I'm forgetting some of the other people, but by and large, actors and production people like to come up there because they're left alone. It's 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 such a not an unusual event to see people just wandering around that you've seen on the big screen. Well, and it's so remote that there's not going to be a lot of people that you're going to just run into that would be tourists or something like that. It's a it's a fascinating place because uh, Lone Pine is about 2,000 people and Bishop is maybe 4,000 people. And in between the two, there are there's a town of Independence and another one of Big Pine, which are both less than 1,000 people. But there are more hotels and uh, places to stay, camping grounds, and 
uh, so it gets a lot of lot of uh, traffic, a lot of tourist traffic, and there's a wonderful tourist interpretive center at the edge of Lone Pine that's new. That's great. Well, before you talk about that, I, I remembered another thing I wanted to mention, which was uh, Ridley Scott film Gladiator. There, that's right. Yes, and he said that it was the most. And I'm going to paraphrase this: that it was the most majestic location he'd ever found, even uh, more so than Malta. Oh my! So he 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 knew that this was the place that he had to film uh, Gladiator. I had completely forgotten that, because that's a good segue to the uh, to the Western Museum of Film History in Lone Pine, which I would recommend. There's two places I would recommend, actually three, you know, with five stars. There's the Western Museum of Film History in Lone Pine, the Manzanar Historic Site, which is north of Lone Pine, about nine miles, and the Eastern California Museum in Independence, uh, which has a wonderful history on the Native American Paiute and Shoshone tribes that were in that area. But the Western Museum of Film History, not enough can be said about that. That place is is outstanding. I couldn't get enough of it. I went three times. I went for three visits. The last visit, I think Nancy was thinking I was planning to stay. Yeah, did you fill out a job application? <laughs> I, I, I said, maybe <laughs> I should apply for a job. I could live above the drugstore in a room. Oh, my I, gosh. I, I didn't hardly scratch the surface of the things that are in there that you can look at. An awful lot of it is dominated by the Westerns of Randolph Scott, John Wayne, Joel McRae and so forth, but the museum itself has it has a nice theater where they started us on our uh, tour with the video that I sent to you, the DVD that I sent to you, and it's got uh, the the original car that Humphrey Bogart drove in High Sierra when it was when he was uh, moving around that area planning the robbery that led to his downfall and and the shootout up in the High Sierras. It's got the uh, the uh, wagon that's in Django Unchained. Apparently there was... I haven't seen that movie, so I believe it was uh, the kind of a medicine wagon that the guy was... You, have you seen that film? I have not. I, I keep meaning to, and then I never seem to have the time or opportunity. But yeah, I've heard really good things about it. And one of the reasons you had so many items in your swag bag is they have the best gift shop I think I've ever seen. <laughs> I feel like you just went down the aisle and grabbed one of everything and stuck it into a, a envelope I know. For me, and, and, a box. And even at that, um, if I had gone down and picked one of everything, I would have had to ship it in about seven trunks. It's, <laughs> so it's, it's great. And a couple of promotional things that I wanted to mention for the Western Museum of Film History is in June they have... A, a, a kind of a formalized concert in the rocks where about 500 people come up to this area where they filmed part of Gunga Din. There's a big flat area surrounded by rocks and they have a beautiful musical concert and a wonderful catered dinner. And everybody wow. is brought something, up. Sounds like something you should sign up for. I, I will do that. Yeah, it's this year it's going to be when we're up in Seattle, but I think next summer that's what we're going to do. And everybody goes up there in buses. You can't drive up oh, there. Cool. You, you have to go in the bus. It's about 800 people. It's a wow. huge turnout. And my friend John that I visit on Friday, the retired actor, has gone to several of those. 
And he used to go up to Lone Pine for 10 years running and horseback ride because he had made a lot of uh, TV shows up there. And when I told him I was going, he was really sad that he couldn't go along because he can't get around that well now. Uh, that would have been nice if he could have, yeah. And the other, I guess I mentioned the Manzanar and the Eastern California Museums. Those are both worth seeing. But all of those have websites where you can get a sense of... Oh, oh, I remember. there. There's a f- film festival in the fall or on the Columbus Day weekend, the Western Film Museum. Oh, I saw that. I was like, oh, I want to go to that. That would be so fun. And it's so popular that you can't get a room for this year. You have to kind of make a reservation a year ahead. Yeah. And they have so many people that they have some of the films in the theater at the museum, but then they also have a theater at the high school. And they they, uh, do a lot of different films, and a lot of the uh, people will still come up there that were in, uh, in these movies what else? I guess this. I mean, I didn't. I didn't make out an application. I did come back home <laughs> to the surprise of everybody in our group. I think some of them were looking at me like, "Holy cow! He's, he's gone overboard." He's obsessed. Three visits there and two demands in our. And then I haven't even touched on Bishop, which is a delightful town of about four thousand people. Which uh, again, films made up that way were Will Penny. From 1967, Nevada uh, with Charlton Heston, uh, Nevada Smith with Carl uh, uh, Malden and Steve McQueen, 1966, and Star Trek. Oh yeah, a couple of the Star Trek movies were filmed up there. Was yeah. filmed up there because the the, the mountains are unbelievable. Because you're going from almost sea level, to looking at a peak that's fourteen thousand plus feet high it's got the it's got the lowest location in the united states and the highest location in the contiguous united states all in one county all like yeah that was crazy and um those pictures of was it mount whitney is that the name of mount whitney yeah yeah that's those beautiful beautiful spot we were at the end of that road uh where where it turns into a campsite well we couldn't go all the way up because it was still winter and it snowed up there the second day we were there, so we didn't quite make it all the way up. But when you're standing on the highway, looking straight up at that mountain, it's it's awesome. It's awesome, it really is. Yeah, yeah. Isn't there a, a air force base nearby too? Because you sent me a video of a of a plane just flying low over. Yes, over uh, the, the air force has a big uh, base outside of Lancaster, between Lancaster and. Lone Pine, the name of which, oh golly! If you remember the the right stuff, the movie, the right stuff from the eighties, yeah, uh, much of that was filmed there because of the Chuck Yeager uh, X one rocket flights. Edwards Air Force Base. I just it, oh Edwards it just okay. came yep. to me. Edwards Air Force Base, huge play, huge, and and. Uh, we're 200 miles north of Los Angeles, but you'd think you were 2,000 miles away from any big cities. It's so remote feeling. I half expected to see Gregory Peck come riding by. One one morning I was out for a walk, and you remember that scene in The Gunfighter where he opens up with he's riding on his horse. I half expected him to ride by me on my walk. Oh, yeah. 
Like at the ghost of Gregory Peck right by. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's it. It's just an amazing place, and I do plan to go back. We uh, we joined the museum. We're members of the museum now. So we uh, we get uh, discounts on items, and there's a small donation requested for the museum, uh, which I think it's $5, which is amazingly inexpensive. And I think I sent you a photograph of the museum. It's a nice building. Oh yeah, he sent me a bunch. I'll put some of these photographs in the show notes for the pay uh, for the podcast. It, it's interesting to be standing in the museum because they have a section on newer film and watch and and be able to look at. It. They don't want you to touch it, but you can look at that monster that came out of the earth. Oh the yeah, well we can't end the podcast without talking about <laughs> tremors. tremors. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, they've got their own little section in the museum. With, I think that's so awesome. That that movie is one of my all-time favorites. Me too. I remember we went to see it, how much fun that was. Yeah, and, and I remember being like awestruck by the desolation of the place that they lived in. I thought, who lives in a place like that? You know, it's, <laughs> they, and now we know it was out by Lone, by Lone Pine. Pine. <laughs> and there's so much in Lone Pine, they can film almost any kind of a scene they'd want. One of the f- things I liked about Trimmers was, was that husband and wife that had a had a veritable bank of of weapons. Remember that? They, they, oh yeah, they had their, their survival bunker. <laughs> yeah, the bunker they had, which came in awesome. handy. <laughs> but you can see the you can actually see this this worm like monster with its mouth open, and then they've got the video running all the time of that, and then of course oh one thing I can't forget is the uh, Iron Man, two thousand eight, where Robert Downey Jr. is in his uh, custom made suit and he spreads out his arms, and he blows up what looks like the entire Sierra range. Yeah. And he holds his hands out and he said, Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Jericho. And boom. Well, in real life, Kathleen was saying all that in back of him was made out of styrofoam. <laughs> and so it was made to look, what blew up was made to look like the uh, beginning of the mountains. And they blew all that up. She said, We were cleaning up styrofoam for months. It was all over the place because there's enough wind. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I want to go back and watch that now because it looks so real. I'm sure they enhanced it with some computer oh, yeah, effects. Oh, yeah, yeah. But... Sometimes it, it's better not to know. But now when I watched, I, I had to go back and look at that part of the movie. and I Well, they filmed that They filmed that up in an area that was known for weapons testing, though, right? Yeah, like, part of it was filmed in there. Yeah. yeah. But this particular scene is in the Alabama Hills right next to where... How the West was won from 1962 <laughs> was filmed with a big wagon stampede, so they had to they oh, had to man. be very careful that they didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. But it, it kind of ruins the effect when you see it. And I'm thinking, 
Oh yeah, Kathleen said it took him months to pick up all that styrofoam. <laughs> right. Oh, that's great. Another one that's kind of a a fun one in Gunga Din. There's a bridge that looks like it's 600 feet over a cavernous valley with a river down below. Well, actually, it's a bridge between two rocks that's maybe 15 feet off the ground. I, never... I saw that picture and I thought, wait a minute. <laughs> yes. So, so that must have been a matte painting. Yeah, the, those days. The, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. It, as Kathleen said, you just gotta, you got to watch a movie and know that a lot of that's not real. <laughs> well, yeah, for sure. But it's kind of fun to not know, but it's also kind of fun to know how they did it. It's... <laughs> well, I I think it's great that they're so concerned about the preservation. I mean, not not just because of the movies, but that area is so unique and it's so beautiful. And you know, if if you if you go onto uh, Google and just type in uh, Alabama Hills uh, photos. Um, you can, I mean, it's just like the first 12 photos that show up are just awe-inspiring. You know, it's like amazing, amazing area. I'd love to go there just on a photo tour sometime myself. We had we ran into one guy who was there just for that. He had his camper, and he was there just for a couple of days of nothing but photography. That's going to be me when I get older. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. Uh, thank you so much for sharing uh, your thoughts and experiences with Lone Pine. That was great. It was a wonderful experience, of which I'm going to do many more. Um, I won't be surprised if I get a, an email from you saying, I've moved into the apartment above the drugstore. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and bought a horse. <laughs> and bought a horse. Oh, God. <laughs> All right, well, that, that kind of wraps it up for uh, episode 102. And coming to you from North Bend, this is Matt Johnson. And this is Bob Johnson in Los Angeles wishing all of you happy movie watching. And Gary, they shot a lot of movies here, but that rock was a crane shot on a Gungadin village up in India just before the Himalaya Mountains. And these mountains had to serve as the Himalayas. They had to serve as the Sierra Nevada. They had to serve as the Rockies. They served as a lot of different mountains, and it's just a beautiful vista here. A lot of them. In fact, uh, we'll try and find a location where you had the suspension bridge in Gunga Den, where they take the elephant across. It'll amaze you. You think in the movie it was about a thousand feet deep. You'll find out it was only Hollywood. Cool. So, yeah, I'd love to talk a little bit more about Manzanar. I Oh, I just ha I had two movies that I, I I forgot to mention that are related to the Japanese internment era. One is uh, from 1976. It's a t television film, Farewell to Manzanar, which is excellent. And then uh, Dennis Quaid and Tamlin Tamita were in a film, Come See the Paradise, from 1990, which is a film. Excellent film. I've seen... I've seen both. It's been a long time ago that I saw Farewell to Manzanar, but it's heartbreaking what what was uh, going on at that time. But it's also amazing what the people that were interned there did to make those camps more livable. It's just... Uh, well, I, I remember watching the movie Snow Falling on Cedars and having no idea what that was about and then realizing it was about uh, about that whole... 
era. Oh, right. That's the one that takes place up in the uh, Puget Sound area, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. There's a, there are a lot of but them. I, yeah, and I, and I uh, was reading... I don't know how I came across this, but I, I came across a discussion on Japanese internment and how the popular notion is that it was as a result of uh, the bombing of Pearl Harbor and, and this idea that we couldn't trust the Japanese and maybe they were all, you know, working for Japan. And like you said at the beginning of the show, they are 90% of them at least, maybe more, were American citizens who had been living here for, you know, maybe second generation even or uh, or more. So the the thing, uh, the, the point of this article was that the Japanese in the California kind of Sacramento Valley and, and uh, the valley north, or sorry, east of Los Angeles. Um, oh, the San Gabriel all, Valley, yeah. Yeah, where all the agriculture was. They were, the, the Japanese were so efficient with being able to grow their crops that they were just kind of demolishing the other farmers and, and kind of in the amount of that they could produce and how uh, the quality was so much better. And the article was kind of positing that there was a real push by the the big farming uh, companies and, and families in California to kind of get rid of that competition. And this was this was one of the ways that they did that. They lobbied uh, Congress to have these people in turn because a lot of those folks. I mean, you said that some came from Seattle and whatnot, but most of them came from California. Yes. And and what sucks what sucks is that they they ended up losing their businesses, losing their land, having to restart their lives after after the war. And uh, there was actually a food shortage uh, as a result of all these Japanese farmers no longer being able to farm. And and a lot of the food shortages during the war they were blamed on the war, but they were it was because. There, there just wasn't the production that we were having when those people were farming. So I, I don't know. It was, it's just interesting. Oh, man, had, all the different. I did not know that. That, wow. It's a, it's a very sad period. Not one of our finest hours. Now there is a positive note, if, if, and not a, not a major one, but a positive note nonetheless. There was one governor in the West that refused to participate in that whole thing. And that was the governor of Colorado. And I remember at a, an alumni meeting in, at the University of Colorado, they gave him an award. It ruined his career. I mean, it, you know, he was kind of drummed out of the political process because people didn't agree with him. But he, he stood up to not wanting to do He said, we're not going to do that with our Japanese residents in Colorado. And now I can't remember the man's name, but... Was it Ralph Lawrence Carr? I think it was. Governor Carr, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like an awesome trip, and I'm so glad that you got to do that. And I, I'd love to be able to visit that area myself, and hopefully that will that will happen. Just let me know. you got a place to stay and, and a driver, and we can stay for as long as you'd like, weeks, months, yeah. maybe whatever, whatever <laughs> works. So we're going to do Gunga Din next time? Yeah, why don't we try to do Gunga Den if we can find a copy of it that's not fifty dollars on Amazon? Oh yeah, I have I've not looked it up, and that doesn't stay within our. Why don't we do this? Why don't we wait and see if we can find it, and then we can decide. 
Okay. Let me know, though, if, if there's another one that you'd like to do that is available so we don't run into that High Sierra, or not High Sierra, uh, the Defiant Ones disconnect that we had. Yeah, yeah, so I'll, I'll take a look later today and let you know. Uh, but, it's not um, a hard problem for me because I'll see John this week and I can watch. I... Just say, hey, let's watch Gungan. Exactly. Gun go, oh, yeah, that's, <laughs> exactly. that's on the third shelf over from the left. I have here. my I own private right film librarian. 